Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. Last week, if you were not here, uh, we jumped into taking a look at what the Bible has to say about the conflict that's going on in Israel right now. And uh, as many of you have probably heard on the news, it's not just in Israel anymore, but the U.S. has jumped into the war as well um, as uh, different uh, areas of our bases in the Middle East uh, were hit over the last week, um, actually week and a half. And so uh, the U.S. has now jumped into it. And um, things are heating up and getting a little bit interesting, and it, and it can feel really heavy in the world. And if you monitor different things on social media, what I'm not the biggest fan of doing, um, it can rob you of your time and joy, but you're aware of some of the stuff that's happening. And I thought it would be good just to continue what we began last week and just give you a little bit more context on uh, the biblical time frame for what's happening in Israel and uh, also the prophetic timeline. And a lot of times when things like this happen, um, immediately um, different voices come out and, and say different things and share different things. And there's a lot of perspectives and there's a lot of opinions. Um, I don't need more opinion. I need more of the word of God. And so my role as your pastor is to help direct us into the word of God to see what does the Bible say about this? What is the Bible saying? And so last week, if you missed it, you can catch up on uh, YouTube or podcast, and hopefully that would be a great resource for you. And I would also say this, you know, there's a lot of great voices that are out there that are definitely, uh, they, they definitely have a, a corner on the market when it comes to eschatology and times teachings. Mark, Mark Hitchcock is a great guy. Jimmy Evans is phenomenal. Even Mark Driscoll has some phenomenal stuff out there. Uh, Jonathan Kahn has some great stuff out there as well. I'm not going to go too much into a deep dive today in eschatology, but I at least want to give you a bit of a biblical framework to see what Israel's prophetic timeline is and what the Bible says about end times. So if you have your Bibles, you can take them out. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to take a look at the words of Jesus. Jesus got asked about this because he talked about it. And Jesus is sharing with his disciples, and this is, this is a, a pivotal moment for them. And he's, he's getting ready to, to tee it up, and, and, and he's positioning his followers now to take hold of and that they're going to run and build the church. And he wanted to give some, some confidence to them in some areas surrounding the end times. And uh, as he was sharing, they begin to come to him, and they'd ask him privately, like, hey, how are we going to know? Like, how are we going to know when you're coming back? How are we going to know when we're close to the end? And so Jesus begins this in Matthew chapter 24, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into the word today. So Lord, we just thank you for your word. It's life-giving. It's life-changing. It's transformative. I thank you, God, that when we hear your word today, we're not hearing the words of men. We're hearing the word from God. And so, Lord, we position our, ourselves, our hearts right now, and we lean into you. And Lord, we just ask you to speak God, speak, touch our hearts and our minds. Help us to, to see something we never saw before. I pray that we would have fresh, fresh revelation that would come from you, that you would illuminate things in the scriptures as we read, that it would take on new meaning and new light. And so, Lord, we just pray a blessing upon our time together that our, our hearts are ready to receive everything that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. If you're in Matthew 24, we're going to start towards the, the beginning of the chapter in verse 3. And it says this, As he, he being Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be a sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. So you're saying these things must take place, but that's just showing us what's to come. He says that's not the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. I, um, I know a little bit about birth pains only because my wife gripped my hand and punched me in the arm numerous times when she was giving birth to our kids. There was lots of screaming. There was lots of commotion. Uh, so I can see what happens. And right now, the, the world is screaming. <laughs> there are some birth pains that are going on. You don't, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that there's some birth pains that we're seeing, right? I didn't know when my baby was gonna be born, but I knew that we were at the end of the pregnancy time when my, my wife was screaming. The world right now is experiencing birth pains. Where we're at in the birth pains, we don't know. There's many different voices, and, and some people would say, I believe we're at the end, towards the end of the end times before what the Bible refers to, or what some scholars refer to, excuse me, as what would be known as the rapture. That's a, that's a, that's a certain lane of eschatology. Others say it's just at the beginning, and then there's going to be the time of tribulation, and some believe that we'll be here for that. Whatever camp you may be in, my, my goal today is not to divide the room. My goal today is to unify the room. Uh, but whatever camp you may be in, in terms of your eschatology, I think we would all agree that we're one day closer to today than we were last week. We're one step closer. And so as you, as you take a look at what had happened to Israel on their land, it, it's, it's good for you to take a pause and just pull back and say, Lord, what are you doing? And last week we unpacked and we talked about how the land of Israel, the geographic location, was actually originally promised to the children of Abraham. It was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was not given to Ishmael and to his descendants. In fact, even the, the Muslims that are out there, they would claim that's our land, but their faith, their religion was actually started over in Saudi Arabia. So how do I make sense of that? And they're following the words of the Quran and Abraham predates any writings of the Quran or Muhammad by two, a good 2,000 years. So whose land was it first? It was clearly the Jews. They were dispossessed twice. They came back. It has been their land, but because of multiple inhabitants, because of multiple people that have lived there, there's been a squabble. It would be as if the Native Americans grew in numbers so great that now we're arguing over different pieces of lands and they're like, no, this is our reservation land. This is our territory. This is our region. We want you guys off. And people are different. They move around, et cetera, to get off their land based on what the needs would be. That's what's happened in Israel. But in that, in that um, scenario, 
just as the Native Americans would lay claim that this is their land in the nation of Israel, the Jews would lay claim to that that is their land. And when you take a look at what happened, the atrocity that happened on October the 7th, it was, it was heinous. It was pure evil, unlike any evil. It was despicable. Grown men infiltrated, came over from the Gaza Strip. They went throughout the areas that are surrounding. It's about 30 miles that goes up and around uh, the area of the Gaza Strip. They murdered men, women, children. They dismembered children. They decapitated kids. Uh, it was brutal. There, it was so bad that one of the IDF soldiers that came into a certain area there, when he, when he saw all of the bodies of the infants, he just couldn't take it anymore. And he went over to the side and committed suicide. He's, I'm out. He just couldn't do it. It was that horrific, that evil, that sick. And when you take a look at what happened, you got to pull back and go, what is going on? And it's not just a physical war. It's not just about land. There is a spiritual war that is going on there. You have to understand this. It's a spiritual war that plays itself out. And I just want to give you a few facts in history on that. The Hamas attacks in Israel, there was 1,400 Israelis that were murdered on that day. And that number is still climbing out of a population of only 8 million people. That's the equivalent of over 56,000 Americans being killed in one day in an area the size of Orange County. 9-11, to put this in perspective, 9-11 was, was, it was like a great surprise. It crushed America. It, it crushed the spirits. It wasn't just in New York. It was in different places as well. And, and in 9-11, there was less than 3,000 that were killed. Imagine if you woke up today and you found out that at 6.30 in the morning for a few hours, there was a firefight that went on and all these terrorists came into Orange County and murdered 56,000 people, went into their, their houses, their bedrooms, and did horrific things to them. I mean, that's the equivalent of what Israel experienced in that little area. Absolutely barbaric. Pearl Harbor, by the way, only had, 20, only had 2,300 people comparatively. Still a lot of people, I'm just giving a comparison. Like, so, so when you see what happened, 1,400 in a nation that that's small, it's horrific. And Hamas, by the way, the Hamas is an acronym, which in, in Arabic, it's the Islamic Resistance Movement. I won't try to pronounce the acronym, but H-A-M-A-S, it's actually the acronym that means Islamic Resistance Movement. It's the largest and most capable militant group in the Palestinian territories, in one of the territories, two major political parties. And since it's... Inception, and it was December of 1987 uh, when they were formed, and they began, they, they, they formed this charter. And for the record, Hamas is a terrorist organization. There are Palestinian people that are peaceful, God-fearing, God-loving people. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about Hamas. Hamas is, they're a terrorist organization. When a military faces another military power, that is war. Okay, when a military faces a civilian population, that is terrorism. That's what we're facing. And I just want to read a few things to just show you what is going on there, what you're dealing with when it comes to Hamas. Article 7, I'm going to read a little bit out of their charter of governance. And in, in article, uh, a few of the articles that they have. Article 13 says, initiatives, this is, this is their writings, okay. Initiatives in so-called peaceful solutions in international conferences are in contradiction to the principles of the Islamic resistance movement. 
They don't want peace. They were offered peace five times, Israel, five times throughout the history of Israel since 1948, five different times, Israel, with the help of the United Nations, with the help of the United States of America, with the help of the British, there was different times where they came to the negotiating table and Israel said, okay, We'll, if, if you'll agree to peace, we'll give you all of this. We'll give you East Jerusalem. You can have that as your capital. We'll give you this land here. We'll give you that land there. And they said, no. They said, no, we don't, we don't, we're not going to negotiate. We don't want any peace. We want you out of here. And you have 22, if you recognize Palestine, 22 different Arab nations in that area of the world. But there's only one Jewish nation. So the challenge is, can they just let the one Jewish nation be the Jewish nation? And it, if, if tomorrow, if Israel were to say, hey, we're not going to fire another bullet, we're going to lay down our weapons, there would not be peace in the Middle East. There would actually be an annihilation of the Jewish people. However, if, the, if, the, if, the, uh, if Hamas and all the other Arab nations said, we're going to lay down our weapons, we will not fire another bullet, what would happen? There would be peace in the Middle East. That tells you the simplicity of it, but then also it's obviously the conflict is a lot more detailed than that. So in, um, in tw- uh, 2017, there was a revised Hamas manifesto and it say, stated this, Hamas rejects any alternative to the full and complete liberation of Palestine from river to sea. What they were talking is about when they say liberation, they want the Jews out of there. So they don't want, any, they don't want to live near them. They don't want to have anything to do with them. Um, article 18, I think was the next slide. So this is talking, this is in their articles of, of their charter. This is talking about how they view women. So speaking of women raising the children, it says that they wrote in there, this is their duty. The woman of the family has to teach the children to perform the religious duties in preparation for what? For growing up and living a godly life? No, for the role of fighting that awaits them. That's what the women are supposed to do. Raise your kids and prepare them to go out and fight. Next one, article 27. The Islamic nature of Palestine is part of our religion and whoever takes his religion lightly is a loser. The day the Palestinian Liberation Organization adopts Islam as its way of life, we will become its soldiers and fuel for its fire that will burn the enemies. Next slide. Article 28. All surrounding Arab nations must open their borders to allow fighters to move freely between Arab and Islamic nations. So again, this is what you're dealing with. There's, this is a group of people that do not want peace. Article 31 says this, under the wing of Islam, Christianity and Judaism will coexist in peace and quiet. So somehow something transitions there and after they've said all they said, and then they said, if you'll just come under and submit to us, then we'll let you have peace. But they don't want peace. They're, they're a religion, they're, they're a group that is founded on preying upon the fears of the people. You know, Christianity, it's, a, it's an invitation. Jesus gives us an invitation. There's, it's, there's a proposition. He's saying, I, 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 want, to, I want you to come to me. I, I, I want you to experience freedom. I invite you into it. Islam is one that's done with the sword. And when you look at the roots of that religion, that's what you will see. Are there peaceful people that practice the Muslim religion? Absolutely. But the foundation if you read the Quran, if you read through their articles of governance for Hamas, you're going to see really the true colors come shining out. Hamas, as I said earlier, it's an acronym, um, but it's also actually a word, interestingly enough, 
in the Bible. There's actually the word Hamas in the Bible and you'll find it in Genesis 6, 11. It says this, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. In the Hebrew, Hamas actually means violence, force, vengeful, vengeance. So when you, when you see that, I think it's an interesting of all the names that they could have chose for their organization, it's interesting that they chose the one that literally means violence. So I'm gonna pull up an, a map of Israel for those of you that may not be familiar with what's happening there. So uh, as we said earlier, we have friends that are there. We have uh, personal friends whose kids actually grew up there. They moved there 15 years ago and they're serving in the IDF. And um, they're based in Jerusalem, but you'll see Israel is, it's about the, the size of the state of New Jersey. Down here is the Gaza Strip. The southern border borders with Egypt, the northern border in Israel. It's interesting that Israel's getting blamed for not allowing different supplies to go in there anymore, uh, but Egypt could easily open up its borders and let them out and, and create freedom for all the different people. But the truth of the matter is Hamas does not want anybody to leave because they feel it's their greatest honor that you would lose your life in fighting the enemy. So they, they, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sign of honor if you were to blow yourself up and kill other people and that in their belief system that what awaits you is a bunch of virgins in eternity that you get to be with for all of time and then your family also is gonna be paid, monies that'll funnel through Iran, your, your family would be paid because you sacrificed yourself. So think of having a border. Think of right now your neighbor, whether you live in an apartment or you live in a house, imagine if the neighbor that you share a wall with hates you, that they actually have written out in their family values that we want our neighbors to cease to exist. We don't want them there at all and we'll do everything that we in our power that we can do to get them. I mean, would you feel comfortable and safe living in that neighborhood? <laughs> no, that's exactly what's happening in Israel. Meanwhile, you have people in Israel that have said, we just want to have peace if they would just stop doing these things. And Hamas, they're, they're, what they do is that they hide in uh, the different daycare centers and in the hospitals and they pop out and they shoot rockets and then they hide back in there. So then when Israel fires a rocket to where that rocket came from, it, what you hear in the news is Israel fired a rocket and blew up a daycare center with no frame of reference or context. And it's, the question is, what can Israel do? What would they do? If they allow the terrorists to continue just to fire at will and don't do anything, then all you do is invite and incite more terrorism. And, 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 but if they fire back, then they, they get blamed in national news. And that's what's happening. And so you get these people across college campuses all over America right now, and really what's happening across the world. And they're like, free Palestine it's like the Palestinians have more freedom in Israel than the Jews do. They can actually go to more places and more sites than the Jews are allowed to enter. They allow the Palestinians to go and enter their sites, but they can't enter holy lands that's on Palestinian-controlled territory. They actually do have a lot of freedom and flexibility. So people are saying free Palestine. They have no idea what they're talking about. So you use Hamas controlled this area. Then up in the northern area there, you have Hezbollah. So Hezbollah is another terrorist organization that's up in the Lebanon area, also funded by Iran. Uh, and then in Syria, 
um, north of the Golan Heights there in Syria is where you have the town of Damascus. Famous town, you probably have heard of it if you read your Bibles. It's up in Syria. Well, the Damascus International Airport there, Iranian planes were coming in, cargo planes were coming and delivering cargo in Damascus. And Israel said, you cannot continue to do that. We know what you're doing because we know the charter of Hamas, where charter of the Hamas specifically stated, we want the freedom to move between all the different Arab nations to be able to carry out the battle which we have. So I hope this is bringing some context with you. I want to give some, uh, some comfort to you now, okay? <laughs> some of you are sitting here and your eyes are big and you're like, wow, I came to the church to hear the good news and I feel so heavy right now. There's good news coming, there's good news coming. I, I, want, to, I want to share with you, but you know, the, the, the prophecies in the Bible, um, the, what, much of what we see today was actually predicted in the Bible 2,000, some 3,000 years ago. And, uh, and I, I just want to share a few highlights of this. There's over 1,000 prophecies in the Bible. 500 of them have been fulfilled. Over 500 prophecies. 30% of the Bible is prophecy, and the majority of it is in relation to the end times. Uh, in fact, if you take a look at the second coming of Christ, uh, that was, that's been talked about over 329 times it's mentioned in the Bible. And out of 216 chapters in the New Testament alone, the return of Jesus is mentioned 318 times. That's one out of every 30 verses of Scripture. The second coming is mentioned. Why would God take so much time to mention all these different things. The purpose of Bible prophecy is really to bring comfort to you. Psalms are, excuse me, Psalms are, excuse me, Matthew 24, 34. So continuing on in the book of Matthew in chapter 24, Jesus makes this statement. He says, this generation will by no means pass away till all these signs take place. So at the beginning of the chapter, we talked about wars, rumors of wars. This is going to happen. There's going to be famine, earthquakes, pestilence, all these different things. And when you, when you see that, you got to know the end is coming. And then he makes this statement, kind of throws a curveball to all the readers. This generation will by no means pass away till all these things. So the end times isn't over several hundred years. It would be done in a generation. That's where things get interesting on the prophetic timeline. That's where we as a people need to just take notice of. Psalms 90 verse 10 says that a generation is 70 years or by strength 80 years. So if you're looking at a, the length of a generation, like what would generation be? 70 years to 80 years. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't like that one, but I don't get to pick and choose. I'm a little bit more like the, the guy that likes Moses timeline. You know, he lived for 120 years. Like that's a, or, or Abraham was 175, I think it was, right? I, I like a little bit of longer time frame. Um, but whatever it may be, whether it's 70 or 80 or 120, that's important to note because the time clock began ticking in 1948. And I want to share this. Bible prophecy is meant to encourage us believers and to serve as warning signs for the unbelievers. Why did God lay out so many prophecies? Because he wants to encourage you. He wants to comfort you. He doesn't want you to be surprised. He wants you to take notice of the things that are going on and he wants you to be comforted where you're like, okay, I'm not gonna, that's not gonna steal my joy. I'm not, gonna, I'm not putting my faith into those different things because those things are gonna pass away. 
And so it serves as an encouragement to the believers and a warning to the unbelievers. And personally, I pray for an Issachar anointing. An Issachar anointing. You'll find it in 1 Chronicles 12, 32. It said this, from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. And all these men understood the sign of the times and they knew the best course of action to take. I pray for understanding, and I hope you do too. The Bible speaks of that. If you should pray, pray for understanding. Pray that you would understand. So ask God, Lord, help me to understand these things. I pray for understanding. And then also, Lord, help me to understand your timing, what I'm to do. If you're facing a a decision where you gotta make, you're kind of at a crossroads, pray and ask God, Lord, would you give me understanding into this decision I'm about to make? Would you give me understanding into this job I'm looking to do, this move I'm looking to make, this relationship? Would you give me understanding? Would you give me understanding and wisdom as I approach this? And would you help me understand the timing? So Jesus says that there's these signs of the end, the sign of the time. So in every generation since the time of Christ thought, we think our generation is the last one. We think he's coming. Like every, every generation has had somebody that said that. And then there's been really bold, I'd call it bold. I don't know if I would, I, I would, I would probably add some other adjectives on there, but bold people have tried to, tried to name the date and the time. Like Jesus is coming in 1982 and then that didn't happen and they erase it. He's coming in 1989 and then that didn't happen. It's certainly gonna be, it's gonna be Y2K. Jesus is coming in Y2K and you know, we got generators and we stocked up and then nothing happened, you know? And so every generation has thought that Jesus was coming. So the question would be, well, what makes this one any different? What makes ours different is what is spoken of in Isaiah eleven eleven. So if you go to the book of Isaiah chapter 11, it says this, it shall come to pass in that day. Not, not over a period of, long period of time, but in the day, the day of the Lord. In that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left. So Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus comes on the earth, Isaiah prophesied, Isaiah was one of the most quoted prophets who actually prophesied about the Messiah, about Christ. And he shares about this, about that day. Well, what happened on that day? He said, the Lord's gonna set his hand a second time to recover. Well, then it says in verse 12, it says, he will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Israel's the only nation that has been dispossessed twice and come back to be a nation. So Isaiah, hundreds of years before uh, the, the, the second time, 100 years before that, he prophesies that God's gonna bring them back from not just one nation, but from the four corners. And I, I think we have the Bible timeline picture. We showed this last week, but this is a biblical timeline of Israel. So we look back here, 2000 BC, 2000 years before Christ, there was the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then there was Moses. The Jewish monarchy is formed in 1020 BC. Um, Jerusalem's established as the capital with David. But then in, in the 500s, you get into the Babylonian rule and, and, and uh, the children of Israel led into captivity. That was the first time. Okay, so they're, let, they're taken out of Israel and they're brought into Babylon. Now, Babylon was a single nation. That's not the four corners of the earth, okay? That's not what Isaiah was talking about when he talked about the four corners. That was the first time, that was 579 BC. But then the second time was about 40 years after Christ. It was in AD 70, the Romans defeat 
Israel. They destroyed Jerusalem. They killed about a million Jews in that annihilation and the Jews go running for their life. And that time they were scattered. And then they went to all these different nations. But then something significant happened, May 14th, 1948. That's the second time that God brought the Jews back from Israel, into Israel. That's what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 11, 11. He said this, but I will bring them back. A second time, I will bring them back. 1948, that's what happened. So the Jewish people came back to Israel. And in one day, they became a nation. That's when Israel was recognized as a nation by the United Nations, that was after the British had pulled out. So there was the Ottoman Empire, then the British were there, the British pull out after the, after the war, and then the United Nations recognized the Jewish state. And at that time, they actually offered the Palestinians, the Arab people of that region that were living there, they offered them to make them a state as well. And that was the first time they said, no, we're not, we don't want to actually, if, if, if we are going to be recognized as a state and still have the Jewish people here, then no, we don't want it because we got to eradicate them before we take hold of the land. And so they said no. But at that time, the United Nations recognized Jew, uh, Israel as a state. Isaiah 66, 8 says this. Who, have ever, who has ever heard such things? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. On May 14th, 1948, the Jews come back and they become a nation in one day. That's what that scripture's talk about, prophesied about it. Jeremiah 16 says this, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. It's not gonna say that anymore. It's gonna be said, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave their fathers. And Jeremiah repeats this prophecy again in Jeremiah 23 somewhere. And so this is talking about coming up out of the north and the four corners. It's interesting that Jeremiah says from the north and the four corners, from the north and the four corners. So the writer, he's saying, no longer are we going to talk about how God brought the children out of Egypt and formed them into Israel during the time of Moses. No, no, no. He's going to be known as the God that brought the children of Israel back from the four corners and from the north. If you take a look on the map directly north of Israel, if you just drew a straight line and went up, you get into a region that's currently occupied by Russia. If you go way up, okay? In 1989, the Iron Curtain fell in Russia. And when that happened, Jews left in droves. In fact, the population of Jews now, they account, uh, Russian Jews account for 1.2 million of the 8 million. So one out of every eight Jews that are living in Israel are Russian descent. So during that time, they came back down from the north and others came from the four corners. Daniel chapter 12 which if you want to get into some, some great scriptures on uh, end times, Bible prophecy, etc., uh, Daniel, uh, a lot of writings in Daniel, Daniel 10, Daniel 12, those are some real highlight key ones. Daniel 12, verse three says, those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal up the book until the time of the end when many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. 
I was listening to a message this past week by uh, um, a great end times teacher I love, Jimmy Evans. Um, we've, we've met Jimmy Evans. We, we had dinner with him or breakfast with him and a bunch of pastors when we were living in Dallas. He's just a brilliant guy, brilliant communicator when it comes to end times eschatology. And uh, he, he had referenced this this actual scripture and talked about how isn't it interesting Daniel mentions that people will be rushing here and there and knowledge will be increasing and if you take a look at what's happening right now in the world there's two things to take note of Daniel's saying when the end times come there's two really important things that'll happen the two important things that will happen is that people will be going from here to there there will be travel I think we have that on a slide and then there will also be an increase of knowledge so in other words Daniel's saying in the end times and he doesn't really understand how it's going to be put together, but he pens the words as the Lord speaks to him in this, this prophetic moment. And he said that travel is going to increase and knowledge is going to increase. And if you take a look at travel, you know, back in the old days, the maximum in Jesus' day, the maximum you'd go in one day is like 10 to 15 miles. You could go up to 30, especially if you had a horse. You could legitimately walk 30 miles. You would not be feeling great at the end of the day, but you could do it. Your hips might be a little sore. You'd rather ride a donkey or whatever, right? You could go 20 to 30 miles a day. And then when automobiles came, I mean, it really opened things up. Now people could go for hundreds of miles in a day. And then when air travel came in the 1970s with commercial airliners, then we could literally travel anywhere in the world. Today, right now, you can get from, not John Wayne probably, but LAX, you can get from LAX to anywhere in the world within 24 hours. In one day, you can get anywhere in the world. And Daniel prophesied that. He said in the, in the last days, travel's gonna, speed of travel, it's going to increase. He didn't know how it happened. We're seeing it happen. The other thing that he said, the second thing, would be that knowledge would increase. 1982, uh, there was a, a writer, Buckminster Fuller, and, and wrote The Knowledge of the Doubling cur Curve. And in 1982, he wrote this, and he said that in the 1900s, human knowledge was doubling approximately every 100 years. So every 100 years. Human knowledge is doubling. By the end of 1945, the rate was every 25 years, so it's speeding up. In the last decade, human knowledge has been doubling every 13 months. Nanotechnology doubles about every two years, clinical knowledge every 18 months. And IBM had stated that they have the goal to help human knowledge double every two months. Like, think of all the knowledge we have in existence since the dawn of time, that being doubled every two months. That's IBM's goal. The head, the head of Google's AI, uh, Ray Kurzweil, he said that with AI, they plan to see human knowledge double every two hours. That's their plan. And there was a conversation between Elon Musk and uh, uh, head of Google page. He, anyways, I won't, I won't get into it, but they had a conversation in, years ago and Elon Musk encouraged him, like, I, I think you should slow down with what you're doing. There's actually in 2003, there's a, a lot of scientists that were some of the foremost experts in the area of artificial intelligence and they just said, hey, I think everybody needs to take a pause button on all this that we're doing. And I think we really need to take a look at the ramifications of this. I mean, this is like real life, like the movie The Circle or The Terminator or whatever. I mean, like that's the kind of crazy stuff that you're, you're seeing it happen right now. And back to, so the angel says to Dan, Daniel, you'll know that the end is coming when these two things happen. Travel is gonna be faster than ever before and then knowledge is gonna increase like never before. And 
some things have to happen before Jesus comes. One of the things that will happen is a falling away, and we're seeing this. And this is spoken of in 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, Do not be shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by sword or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Jesus spoke of this. If you read through Matthew 24, he actually talks about this. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship. So what happened with Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, Paul established the church there and he wrote them letters. First Thessalonians, he mentioned in every chapter of that book, he mentions the second coming of Christ. And then there was rumors going around. They said, yeah, Jesus has come and you missed the boat. And people are like, what? Oh my goodness. And so they're all freaked out about it. So Paul writes them second Thessalonians and he encourages them, no you, you didn't miss it. Jesus hadn't come. That's a false rumor. The words of Jesus, remember Jesus said that there's gonna be a great falling away. So the re return of Jesus won't come until there's this great falling away. What's a great falling away? It's apostasy. What's apostasy? It's, it's those people that were once believers turned away from the faith. Imagine being a baptized, born-again believer in church, worshiping God in community, and then something happens where you just turn and walk away from that life, that surrender, that community, and you just turn and walk away from that. And I've lived long enough now where I've seen it happen and it is so painful. And we're living in a time where that has happened. And something interesting happened on November 17th that helped to expedite this. November 17th, 1980, there, that was the date when they removed the Ten Commandments from all public schools. So some of, some of us weren't old enough to remember this, uh, but they used to actually have the Ten Commandments up on the wall of every single public school in the nation. They would actually have a moment of prayer every morning over the loudspeaker, and somebody, it was your honor to lead the Pledge of Allegiance. Some of you remember that, leading the Pledge of Allegiance over the loudspeaker in school, right? That was common. But in November 17, 1980, the Supreme Court justices, they said, nope, we're going to actually, we're voting to remove the, the Ten Commandments from our public school systems. And the justices wrote this. They said, if the posted copies of the Ten Commandments are to have any effect at all, it will be to induce the school children to read, meditate upon, perhaps to venerate and obey the commandments. Like, like that's a bad thing. <laughs> that's a, like that, that, like that there would be bad that would, and they, they went on to say that that's, that's fine for personal devotion, but we don't feel that it should be part of the public school system. My question is, how's that working for you, America? <laughs> Nicole Edgman's sitting in the front row. Her famous line, every time she preaches and speaks and leads people in, in counseling them, okay, you're doing that. How's that working for you? How's that working for you? America has erased God from our culture. We've destroyed the nuclear family that God designed. We are making ourselves out to be God. How is that working? Jesus goes on in Matthew 24, and he says this. He makes this statement. He says, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing the great falling away. We're seeing churches that were once thriving congregations globally being turned into bars. You go throughout Europe and it's the coolest building and you walk in 
and they've taken the, where it used to be an altar and they've turned it into a bar and they're serving beer and alcohol there and having a good time and the lights and everything else and a place that was once the house of God. Well, how could that, how did that ever happen? It happened because one generation didn't pass the baton to the next. It happened because people began turning away from the faith. And my prayer is that for our congregation, that we will not see that happen. We will, and any person that calls themselves part of authentic church, that we're together. That's why in our vision, part of our vision is encounter God and discover community. We need each other. We need accountability. We need people to hold us accountable. We need people to call out the best inside of us. We need people that see God's call in our lives and, and correct us when we need correction, encourage us when we need encouragement, and provide accountability and safeguards so we don't blow up our lives. Matthew 24, Jesus goes on to say, he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And here's the good news. And at the end, this is what's gonna happen. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I just, in love, I just tell you, you need one. I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't live and die on the cross for nothing. You could go to Israel, you can meet with people that live there, Jewish people, and they will tell you, there was a man named Jesus that lived in this area, for sure, without question. There, we see in, there was secular and sacred scholars alike agree that he performed many miracles, that he raised people from the dead, that he healed this, that he healed that, that after his birth, that what happened, or after his death on the cross, that there was a veil that kept up in kept people back from the holy of holies before God and that veil was torn in two in the temple at his death on the cross. They, they would share that. Yes, this is factual that this happened. But many believe that he was a great prophet, a great teacher, but they don't receive him as the son of God. And my question then to them is, if you say that he was a great prophet and a great teacher, do you know what he said about himself? <laughs> do you know what Jesus, the great prophet, you call him a good prophet, Muslims would even call him a good prophet, do you know what he said about himself? Because he actually claimed to be God. He actually said that there's no way to go to heaven except through him. That your best works, all your good works of your duties and trying to do all the right things, you can never do enough good things to earn right standing with God. He had to pay the ultimate price, the penalty for all of sin so that you and I could have everlasting life. Jesus took on the cross what he did not deserve to give you and I what we don't deserve. I was talking with somebody last week and they were saying, I, I feel like I just don't deserve to be saved. And I said, you don't. His eyes were like, what? <laughs> How can you say that? You're a pastor. I said, no, you don't. And neither do I. I don't deserve to be saved. Like it's, it's, it, it's ridiculous. The fact that Jesus saved a guy like me, like I'm blown away. Paul said, I, I, you guys talk about all these different things. Yeah, I, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews and a scholar, but Paul says, I am like the chief of sinners. Like I'm, I'm the worst. Like, I'm, like Paul is essentially saying, I'm the guy running the casino in Vegas. I'm the one running the brothels there. I'm sleeping around. I'm, doing, I'm, I'm committing murder. I'm doing, like Paul's like, that's me. Like you, you, you see this, but I'm telling you, that's me. And they're like, if that's you, <laughs> Lord, we need, we need salvation. And whether you, wherever you might be in your relationship with Christ, I wanna encourage you to take one step closer. 
wherever you might be on your journey with God and your knowledge of him, and I wouldn't just encourage you to take one step closer. James 4, 8 says, when you draw near to God, he's faithful to draw near to you. James was the little brother of Jesus, and he makes this statement, draw near to God, he's gonna draw near to you. Like, you, you can do that in faith. I'm drawing near to you. I'm drawing near to you. God's gonna draw near to you. I wanna close with this, and I'll have Kara go ahead and join me up on the keys, if you don't mind. Um, I realize this can be a heavy message, okay? Um, but again, I just wanna say Bible prophecy is meant to encourage the believers to comfort the believers, but also to serve as a warning to unbelievers. No one knows the day or the hour. Nobody knows that. But we can see that there's some things happening. We know that something's happening. We know there's transition coming. We don't know, just like in uh, pregnancy, we don't know when the baby's gonna show up. But we know that the baby's on its way. We don't know when the exact day will be or the hour will be. But we can sense that there's something close, you know? We're one day closer today than we were yesterday. And wherever you're at, I just wanna ask you to search your heart. Are you right with the Lord? That's a good question to ask. It's an honest question to ask. Are you right with the Lord? And if you're like, I am, great. Who in your life is not right with the Lord? That becomes your mission. So it's awesome that you have your relationship with Christ. And I'm not demeaning that in any way. It's beautiful. Cultivate that. Grow in that. Spend time with him. Encounter him. Read the word. Pray. Worship. When you do that, you just receive the love that he has for you. When you do, you realize, I do not deserve anything you're giving me, Lord. And worship begins to well up in your heart. But there's people maybe in your life that don't know Jesus. There's people that you would love to have sitting right next to you today in, in the pew of this church, hearing the message of Christ. I wanna encourage you, go after them. You're here because somebody went after you. You're here because God got a hold of your heart one way, shape, or form. I remember meeting all these crazy Christians. It was like one after another. That was like the Lord was lining up these wild on fire Christians like dominoes in my path everywhere I went the year leading up to my salvation moment. Be one of those. Be that crazy Christian that just constantly keeps inviting them. Keep posting that invite on social media, reposting stuff from the church, sending direct messages to people. Say, hey, I don't know where you're at with God, but I'd love to invite you to come and join me at my church. I think you'd really like it. I'll take you out to lunch afterwards. I mean, do whatever you gotta do to get somebody into an encounter with God. Like truly their eternity depends on it. So what do you do from a moment like this? What do you do after you hear a heavy message like this? I just wanna encourage you to take a deep breath. All right. I wanna encourage you with this quote. Plan like Jesus isn't coming back for a hundred years, but live like he's coming back tomorrow. Plan like he's not coming back for a hundred years but live like he's coming back tomorrow. Plan, start that business. If you got an idea, start it, go for it, man. You wanna buy a house, buy a house. You wanna date somebody and get married and have kids, do it and do it in that order. <laughs> take that vacation if you wanna take that vacation. Go for it, live your life, plan, invest. Watch how you invest. This is a wild year, right? It's election year. It's always, market's always kind of like this, you know? Live your life, plan, 
But man, live like Jesus is coming back to For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Oh, 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 o